I have some really exciting news for listeners of the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Most people think lifestyle investing is about making more money or creating additional passive income streams. And while that is part of it, the most savvy lifestyle investors understand that having a solid tax strategy is fundamental and really foundational to creating wealth. I firmly believe that having the right tax strategy is the single best investment that you can make. I know tax strategy isn't the sexiest topic, but once you understand a few key elements to the IRS playbook, the compounding benefit you receive year after year is enormously significant. In fact, we have members inside the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind who have used these strategies and have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, millions of dollars. This is not a nice to have if you're interested in growing your wealth. This is a must. In our brand new tax strategy masterclass, I have hand-selected and shared the details of the 28 most valuable strategies to help you increase your tax savings this year and for years to come. Plus, if you want to hire a top-tier tax strategist, it can easily set you back tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And you want to make sure that you have the best, most accurate information to ensure that you're hiring the right person for you. That's why we included a whole section with advice, resources, and multiple interviews with my personal tax specialists to help you build a bulletproof tax team, but for a fraction of the cost. The entire tax strategy masterclass was designed for people like you who want to keep more of their hard-earned money without having to sift through the complicated tax code. If you're interested, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax to learn more about the course or set up a free consultation call with our team at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Are you sick of playing Wall Street's rigged game? Fed up with letting faceless banks and government entities play dice with your cash? You're not alone. Millions of people are getting tired of staking their financial future on the success of the failing banking system. And today's guest is helping them do something about it. Russ Morgan is the co-founder of Wealth Without Wall Street and leading the charge of declaring independence from traditional financial institutions. Wealth Without Wall Street is an online community that re-educates business owners and families on how money truly works. Their goal is to teach people to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. In this episode, you'll learn the unique wealth-building strategies that don't involve Wall Street, how to build a recession-proof passive income portfolio without breaking the bank, and how to maximize cash flow and avoid the clutches of the traditional banking system. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Russ has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor podcast listeners. He's sharing his financial freedom analyzer tool, which will help you determine just how close you are to financial freedom so you can take purposeful steps to get there faster. To get access to this gift, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash 140. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Russ Morgan. Hey, Russ, glad to have you on the show today. How are things? 
Man, great, Justin. Thank you for having me on, man. I've been following you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I love the work that you're doing. And I feel like just the things that you and I are up to in the world, there's so much similarity. There's so much alignment. I had a ton of fun being on your podcast. And I think you guys just curate some awesome content. And I'd love to get into it. I'd love to talk about what wealth without Wall Street looks like and why the company and how you even got there. So I'm excited for today's episode. Yeah, man, me too. You know, it's fun when you find people in the world that have similar values, similar thoughts on the way things should work. And also just has a passion for helping people, man. So just having you on the podcast and hearing your story, I know we're going to have a lot of fun today. Well, let's do it. And and I'm excited for people to hear your story because your story is different than many in the fact that you actually started on Wall Street. You actually started in the financial services industry and you quickly made your way away from it and out of it. And I'd love to hear kind of what that whole story and process looks like. Yeah, the belly of the beast, right? We talked about that a little bit on our show. But yeah, I started out in the financial advisory space. I went to work for a little boutique firm. I live in Birmingham, Alabama. My wife was a dentist and I didn't know who I was going to talk to. So I spent a lot of time in the dental and medical world. My brother-in-law is a vet. Another brother-in-law is an orthopedic surgeon. And so I spent a lot of time trying to help doctors who knew very little about money and business, but who were making a lot of it and showing them where to invest, right? I was putting money in all the qualified plans and all the Wall Street items. And for about four, four and a half years, Justin, man, I was an expert. Now, you know what makes an expert in the financial space, right? What makes an expert? I mean, I know what I would call an expert, but I don't know what they call them in the financial space. <laughs> a rising market. That's what it takes <laughs> That's a, good. a financial expert, That's right? Good. So it wasn't until September 2008, I realized that I was not quite the financial expert that I had really puffed myself up to be. And I, I remember the day, just I was sitting there playing golf with a buddy of mine, and he looks over, you know, this is back in the BlackBerry days. He says, man, the Dow just dropped 880 points today. And while, while today that's like, oh, well, that's just a normal week. We experienced those. But then you didn't see that. You know, it didn't move more than 25 or 50 points in any given day up or down. And it always been kind of going up and to the right. And I remember just sitting there thinking of all the people I had been talking to up until that point who had invested large amounts of their money that blood, sweat, and tears into investments and watching those accounts over the next four, five, six months drop. Mm. And, you know, in some situations there I was trying to say, well, we did better than the market. We didn't lose 50 or 60%. We only lost 25 or 30%. And I was sitting there just trying to figure out, and I was asking a lot of questions and curious kind of individual. And the question I kept coming back to that nobody would answer or knew how to answer was what's going to keep this from happening again? And that sent me on a journey to really looking for alternative strategies that could help me and help the people that I was leading, if you will, to find ways to build cash and wealth and ultimately financial freedom. I love that, Russ. I love that you're willing to go against the grain and actually, you know, stare down the belly of the beast, as you said, and say, you know what, this isn't the way, this isn't the best way, this might not even be a good way. One of the things that's so interesting to me is you, you said the word expert, and I love your definition of an expert in the financial industry, because there are a few industries where I feel like people somehow become experts or they're, you know, presumed experts in very short order, like thought leaders, influencers, you know, social media influencers specifically, financial services, you know, anyone working with dealing with money investments, it, it's like Whatever happened to this whole idea that an expert is someone that has 10,000 hours on a particular subject that generally takes 10 or more years to gain that expertise if you're really full time doing something, right? Like if you're in college for part of that, that doesn't count, right? But like you're devoting your working hours, your career to a certain subject. And so for some people, it takes more than 10,000 hours and more than 10 years, especially if you're multitasking or if you're switching careers. So it is so fascinating in, you know, to me, and, and by the way, today, everyone's a coach, everyone's an influencer, everyone's a thought leader, everyone's a financial expert, everyone's an investment genius, but you got to be careful. 
because the last 10 years, everyone thought they were so good because it was hard to make mistakes. And by the way, if, if you lost money in the last 10 years, like that, that was a lot harder to do than any other time in history, in U.S. history, right? Like these last 10 years have been tremendous. So the danger is that a lot of people think they're better than they really are. And I just have this conviction that if I'm going to coach with someone or look up to someone for mentorship or leadership, they need to be battle tested. They need to have the time in. They need to actually be great at the thing that they're teaching not just a jack of all trades, not just someone that had a good year, a good few years. And unfortunately, that's where most people get into trouble is because the experts today, the coaches today think they can coach on anything, even though they haven't done it. People are coaching on all kinds of topics that they have never actually done themselves. <laughs> no, hey, you know this, right? I, I know that your BS meter is pretty high like mine when you have people come on the podcast and they start telling you about the things that they're having so much success, meaning their students, right? My student is really excelling in this area and they're really doing this well. And and man, we're, we're having a lot of success over here. And I'm like, the question that we always ask is, man, that's amazing. Show me how that's working for you. Right. And the beauty is there's a lot of people that are doing the thing that they're they're selling and talking about, but there's also a lot of them that are like, oh, well, I used to do that, right? Like I started out, like I know you got, you're in in the mobile home park. I, I, I did that for a while. It was really cool. And then so I just built this whole mobile home park like teaching course. And I've just been doing that for the last 10 years, teaching people. You know, I hadn't bought any parks in 10 years. And you hear a lot of that kind of stuff where people are like making money, selling the thing, but they're not actually doing the thing. 100%. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, take a look at authors, take a look at people that are uh, promoting courses. The vast majority of them are not experts in the thing that they're doing. They just found that there's a niche in that area and they're gaining market share. And a lot of these people, they didn't make their money on the investments. They made their money on the products that they made to teach investing. I mean, this is so common. And unfortunately, the, the sad truth of it is a lot of this was not exposed for a good amount of time. We're starting to see it getting exposed now as the economy is is hitting a halt, as we're, we're experiencing signs of recession. Some people think we're in a recession. I tend to believe that we are in the midst of one and, and the beginning of it. We've got a lot of bank failures. We've got a lot of stuff going on. But one of the things that I'm seeing, and I know you are too, I am seeing more Ponzi schemes popping up, people getting caught running Ponzi schemes than I can remember in quite some time and literally in just the last couple of years. Yeah. Somebody was telling me yesterday, there actually is a, I forget the site that's tracking the number of Ponzi schemes, but it is, we, we don't hear it unless we or someone in our close sphere has experienced it, but there's like... I think on average, about 90 Ponzi schemes that gets exposed per year. It's like a, a five to um, billion dollar a year type deal. And it, it ultimately comes down to a lot of people are seeking ways to to try to beat Wall Street, right? Like, I mean, that's the, the first Ponzi scheme that I got exposed to was right after I had left I left the financial firm that I was working for in 2015, and my business partner and I broke off. We started Wealth Without Wall Street. I'm at an event with a hundred other CPAs, CFPs, you know, financial professionals, if you will, and there's four or five different alternative investments being shared with the group. And one of them, like the most quote unquote conservative of the group, turned out to be a billion dollar Ponzi scheme. Wow. The group that was pitching it had been in the real estate space for 20 plus years, had built this fantastic name, and turned out the owner was buying real estate. It was supposed to be lending out to other people, and he was the one buying it. Instead of them doing it at 60% loan to value, he was buying the property and taking all the loan proceeds and everything, so doing 110% deals and taking cash in order to pay back investors. And obviously, it ultimately uh, reared its head, and you know, people lost a lot of money in that. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because a lot of these Ponzi schemes, so sometimes it's like a good business that 
at a certain point, you can't make payroll, you can't pay the investors. And, and so it worked until it didn't work. It worked until the economic season shifted. Other businesses, and this is the real shame, a lot of them, it's greedy people that literally used and spent that money, bought for themselves, were huge consumers of those dollars. And it was never actually a business outside of maybe even the first year or the first few months. Well, my business partner and I did a, a podcast recently, and we called it the three reflections from investment failures. <laughs> and and we went through and just kind of identifying to the, you know, somebody's listening to trying to figure out, okay, how do I identify the bad deals, right? How do I avoid making the mistakes? Well, we, we gave three points, N- none of them super unique, but one was trust but verify, and the verification is the part that nobody ends up doing, yep. right? Like I'm sitting there, I'm talking to Justin. I like Justin. I think Justin would never do anything bad, but we don't know. Did Justin do the thing? Did Justin verify the data? And I know you would verify the data, but there's unfortunately there's people that don't verify the data. So if I just invest through you, I might end up trusting in you and you're a good person to trust, except you didn't end up doing the due diligence that you really needed to do. So that ends up happening. The the second thing is that we we make that say my father-in-law has a saying, liars figure and figures lie, right? You've heard that before. Oh, yeah. And I think what we need to know is the math always has to align. There has to be a story that explains how it's a good deal for the person operating the business as well as me. And sometimes you can see that the math gets out of line, like the deal gets so sweet. Maybe it's the tax advantages, right? I know you have a lot of people listening who make a lot of money and the tax advantage we get toward the end of the year and we're looking for the place I can invest money that I can reduce my tax liability for the coming year. Sometimes we allow the tax uh, tail to wag the dog. Totally. And then ultimately, I think so few people know the actual operators of the deals they're investing in. They're just investing in people, not actually the person doing the deal. And if and, and the two Ponzi schemes I, I've seen personally up front and close, neither time did we know the operator. And it was just like, oh, there's the you know, prime example of why we have to know at least the who that person is and how they're operating, even if we're investing through someone else to get there. That's right. And the track record needs, in my opinion, to be greater than, what, 20 years? Like they need to have gone through a recession. They need to right. like understand that what the economic climate looks like during a recession and have things check the boxes. Like we need to have several pro formas of deals that have gone full cycle so that we know that this person has expertise. And yeah, if you are not the operator and you're bringing in a third party, if this is not in-house, then you need to get to know the operators. And by the way, the operators need to have that type of a track record of, you know, 20 years in the business. And if you do some of these simple steps, you're going to mitigate a lot of the risk out there because a lot of the deals that are falling apart right now are people that started syndicating within the last 10 years all inside this crazy bull market. And maybe they had one or two or three deals go really well, but it's all inside of this like highly inflated market. Yeah, no, I mean, you're going to see that over the next couple of years from all the multifamily syndicators, right? As as these loans that they got, as they start those uh, rate caps start expiring, and they're not able to refinance out the equity that they thought they were going to have, and they're going to have much higher rates on their debt, there's going to be a lot of these deals coming to the market. But also that creates opportunity, right? That creates opportunity for people who know what to do so that then they can take advantage of all of that. Yep. And I'm curious, what what was the background of your partner, Joey, who, by the way, is a wealth of knowledge as well? Did he start in Wall Street or was he not in Wall Street? Did he have a different type of background and upbringing? Yeah, he he worked for the big banks. Mm. I mean, between the two of us, man, we were the we beat up on banks and uh, Wall Street, and, and we do it because we we came from it. Yeah, so he worked for one of the, uh, the the two or three largest banks in the U.S., Wells Fargo, for thirteen years or something like that. And he was actually a client of mine. I once I started learning different strategies. I went to him and I said, here, I want you to to read this book. And uh, once you uh, finish reading it, 
uh, I'll start referring business to you because we had a mortgage company at the investment firm I was with. And obviously all the craziness went happened. They changed all the mortgage regulations. We got out of that business and I needed somebody to refer clients to, but I didn't want him telling them something stupid, like do a 15 year mortgage or something. And so I wanted him to understand the kind of conversations we were having with our clients. And he, he was like, wait a second, this is something I should be doing. I was like, yeah, you should. And so he started participating about four years doing this as a client, he's like, man, you kind of suck at telling people about this. Cause he'd be like, Hey, if you told this person at church, or if you told this friend of ours, cause we ran in the same circles and I'm like, no, he's like, why? He's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like to go talk to people about that. You know, like people I know <laughs> I'd rather get on a podcast or, really, you know, be on a stage with 500 people out in front of me just cause I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to sell them something. Yeah. He's like, man, I need to come work with you, man. I need to come do that. And ultimately he left his job and I was making over $300,000 a year in the mortgage world and came to work with me. And I'm grateful he did because uh, our partnership has really helped us blossom. Well, I'll tell you what, working for Wells Fargo, which is, you know, many would say is like the most corrupt bank of any of the big banks. Like what a great line of sight into just all the total corruption going on from the standpoint of creating fake accounts to charging people erroneous fees, closing accounts, like taking collateral. Uh, I mean, Wells Fargo, I think, has been fined more money, like multiple fines of multiple billions of dollars, right? Do you love the podcast and the book and wonder what the next step should be on your lifestyle investor journey? For a limited time, my team is doing free, personalized consultation calls to learn more about your goals and determine which of our courses or masterminds will help you get to the next level. Whether that's to make your first investment or to create your first income stream of passive income, or whether that's to achieve ultimate financial freedom. If you'd like to reserve a spot, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation to book a free strategy session while they're still available. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. And, and by the way, all the big banks are guilty. Most of the banks out there, I mean, HSBC was uh, caught money laundering. I mean, most of the big banks have been caught money laundering. People think that they're safe and we need to trust them. I am glad that some of the cracks are starting to take form in the banking industry. I did a podcast, I don't know, two or three years ago, where my goal was to expose the banking industry and really the fraud that it is and the things that are going on. So it's it's interesting to see this play out this many years later. I'm curious your well, thoughts on some of that. Yeah, well, I mean, right now, obviously, the banking world is like it was in 2006 and 2007. Back then, they were holding a lot of bad mortgages, right? They'd made bad bets. Well, now they're holding low interest treasuries where they've got a lot of unrealized losses on their books, where if we have, you know, runs on the bank where they need capital, like, you know, what we saw with the SVB and everything else, then you're going to see banks all over. I mean, the two years, 2009, 2010, we saw 150 banks close a year, right? And I, I feel like we're going to see something near that over the next couple of years. We're starting to see just the trickle up effect. We're getting higher than we've been outside of those two years. And man, it, the banking world, people have this, oh, the FDIC is going to protect me deal. And they don't realize that they, they've got let, you know pennies on the dollar for the amount of money. I mean, SVB, when it failed, it was the second largest bank to fail in the U.S. history, right? Deposit Insurance Corporation does not have enough money to protect all the deposits that are out there. And people don't know that, but that's where they've been taught to save cash. And now as interest rates are rising, it's like, oh, okay, well, I should keep my money at the bank, right? You start getting, you know, forever, we got zero interest. So we were trying to find ways to get money out of the banks. But now that they're paying us 4% on a savings account, people are like, oh, that's a good idea. Unfortunately, if something goes bad with their bank, they may realize that they're in a, a situation where they have the bail in, not the bail out. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. I mean, gosh, we could go into a ton of you know detail on it. I mean, we, we've got the unrealized loss situation, and then we've got the commercial real estate situation. And then just like all the loans that are going to be called here or on, you know, short term, 
there's going to be some carnage in this space, uh, which is just crazy to think about. And by the way, we're talking about Silicon Valley being such a big bank. First Republic's even bigger, right? So like you add that up and you add Signature Bank with it, you add these three banks and it's the size of what's going on. Like we're in a crazy situation that potentially could be worse than 0809, but everyone's kind of brushing it under the rug. That's what's mind-boggling to me. Well, here's the thing. The only little bit of difference, right? So we spent a little time the other day with a guy that he, he shared some information that I didn't have. He said, you know, kind of in the last 20 years, the average reserves on deposit at the banks for the U.S. is about $1 trillion. We're at like $3.5 trillion right now. He's like, so there's a lot of people sitting on cash that they never had. So now if the fel- the banks fail, now that cash is going to get wiped away. But I think what we're seeing is that all that money that got printed over the last couple of years and just basically given to uh, small business owners in particular, right? That money, some of it got you know spent on boats, but the rest of it got put in accounts. And people were like paying 1% interest on you know the loans that they got, and they just took the money and stuck it off to the side. So I do think there's a potential ability to have a cushion, even though they've been definitely inflating the balloon. But the so what to this is that you just got to take control, right? You have to be in control of where your money is, and you have to not be in this hope-based approach to financial freedom, which most people have done. They bought it hook, line, and sinker into the retirement market that says, hey, I'm going to wait till I'm 59 and a half. I'm going to work for this company. They're going to, they're definitely going to employ me forever because I'm amazing. And when I get to 60, I'm going to have enough money in that account in order to ride off into the sunset. And the unfortunate is, is most people get there and realize that taking out 3% or 3.5% or whatever the number is now of their balance makes up about a third of what they actually need to live on. And so they end up working well into their 70s and they don't experience this retirement that they had envisioned 20, 25 years before. That's right. And in fact, I really want to get into this because I want to get into some of the corruption of Wall Street. I want to get into some of the manipulation of Wall Street because what is touted will happen is based on a lot of things going right. I mean, let's say that everything goes perfectly to plan, except that when you retire, there's a recession. The plan doesn't work then, and no one can control that. So that right there is like one easy situation where like anyone who is retiring and 0809 and even for decades after that was totally you know that their retirement was disrupted their wealth was disrupted in a negative way same as likely going to be true of anyone that's going to be retiring here in the coming years so i'm curious your thoughts on just some of the things that you saw in wall street that you know are not accurate that you kind of teach and educate people in your network away from the one that probably you've probably hammered a handful of times on your show or imagine is that you're you need to have you know multi seven figures in a retirement account and that's what's going to make everything rosy and pretty right One, we don't know really how close we are to financial freedom because we don't know how much it's going to take when we get there to basically live off of. There's so many factors and those factors are constantly changing. While we're given, I remember as a certified financial planner, I I had these rules, right? Here's what inflation is. Inflation is two and a half to 3%, right? Because that's what it's been over the last 30 years. But once you really understand is that that basket of goods that they're using for the CPI is constantly changing and adjusting to make it look better, right? We all know that eggs, milk, gas, that's going up at a lot faster rate than two and a half percent, not to mention homes, cars, everything else. Well, so there's a big issue there. I think one is that the average person has no clue as to how close they are to financial freedom. I used to, when I was doing financial planning, we'd give them this great binder, you know, really nice, beautiful charts, you know, something that they could really pay a lot of money for, stick on their shelf and just have this warm and fuzzy feeling. But right now, as you're listening to this podcast, You know exactly how close you are to financial freedom. And here's why. Because financial freedom is when you have more passive income than you have monthly expenses. So all you have to do is take the passive income that you have. Hey, I invested in a deal. I got $1,000 a month coming in. How much do you have in monthly expenses? I got $10,000 a month monthly expenses. Take the the number on the left, divide into the number on the right. That gives you a percentage. 
in that example, I'm 10% of the way to financial freedom. Now you have a benchmark. You can say, okay, great. Well, I just need to go get nine more of those kind of deals. I get to 10,000. I'm there. And I've seen people, as you have, Justin, that does that in six months, six years. Everybody's different depending on how much money they have, the opportunities come to them, how much time they have, experience, relationships they're building, all that kind of stuff. And so I think that that's one of the things that is, is big. Another big thing is that you're not smart enough to do it. We need to do it for you. Like, that's why I went and got, that you know, that designation to be a certified financial planner. You know, less than 5% of the financial advisors out there hold that. That was one of those things that was going to tout me as an expert. Do you know when I was taking those exams, how many times I was like actually arguing with my professor? Like the guy that was teaching our, you know, our course on this. I was like, there's no way this is not right. Like this is actually not real world. You know, I've been in the financial world for two years. I was by far not an expert, but I knew enough. And I'm like, this isn't real. But in order to pass the test, I would have to give answers contrary to what I knew was actually right. Wow. So even in, in the material, they were like guiding people to try to think a certain way. It's like, that's not the way it actually works. So I think there's, a, unfortunately, you know, the financial world are taught by Wall Street. So the advisor that you have is there selling the mutual funds of the products that the wholesalers come in their office and take them out to golf and, and you know, buy them lunches and tell them that are so great. And I, I think that too often times they're not independent and actually able to think for themselves. Not that that's everybody, but as a large majority, because I experienced it, you know, the people that were senior in my office, people that have been there 20, 25 years, they were doing the same thing I was doing. And I would look back on that. I'm like, man, that is some really flawed thinking, not to mention most of the financial advisors out there have very little money. They're not investing money in the things that they're telling you to invest in. So if you're investing money on the Wall Street, I would always tell people, if you're going to go that route, you need to say, okay, show me what you're doing. I want to see your accounts and I want to invest in the same things you invest in because I know that you will watch your money. It's a hoax. It's a myth that they're going to watch yours. They're just not. Unless you have you know, $100 million, they're not watching your money. If you're at a family office, maybe. But outside of that, they're not watching your money. They're watching theirs, however much or little it is. They're watching theirs. They'll make decisions on their money. I mean, I can keep going on and on about the myths and different issues, but those are a few. Well, yeah, and and there's a misalignment right out of the gates. Like, what what product are you going to put someone in if you make more money on product A than you do product B? Well, you're probably going to put them in product A. And by the way, there are great financial advisors and planners out there. The problem is with that whole industry the industry itself, there's so much manipulation. There's so much like propaganda and, and drinking of your own Kool-Aid that many of the people in the industry are, I mean, we're talking great people, but they only know what they've been taught. And most people haven't been taught to think for themselves. They've been taught to just follow the program. And, and you see this even in medicine, right, where you have a Western medicine is is very much in many regards and not every regard, but many regards. It's it's not fixing the symptom. It, it's, it's addressing the symptom, not fixing the problem. Right. It's band-aiding or it's uh, one product you know, kind of fits all. And so in the financial landscape, I mean, this whole idea that you're going to save a nest egg and you're going to retire at whatever age it is. And notice the age keeps going up. Notice what's going on in France right now, where they increase the age by year and, and total, you know, pandemonium, right? And by the way, that's not the end of it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen here. And you use these products that don't give you a lot of flexibility or options. Most people don't self-direct them. The financial services industry is basing stuff on something that's outdated, like even the 60-40 split, like stocks to bonds. This is the safest portfolio allocation. Uh, so do this. That was the worst performing, one of the worst performing allocations last year in 2022 of the last century of 100 yeah. years. And not to mention what numbers you're projecting with, like you said, you know, inflation at two, two and a half percent. We've seen inflation up in the nine 
nine and a half, eight, eight and a half percent. And and yeah, we're down a little more now, but those numbers aren't accurate. The CPI doesn't include food or energy, which are two of the like highest price things. You mentioned it. It's like changing what's in the basket of what they're going to do to to figure out what our inflation is. And then on top of it, they have the goal to lie to the general public that what inflation is, is like, you know, it's this situation, it's that situation, it's, you know, this political thing, it's this war, it's transitory, it's like all this. No, inflation is you printed more money, it devalued the money that's in circulation, therefore dollars are worth less, they buy you less. That's what inflation is. And But I can't believe how many people have bought the lie that these certain situations are causing inflation. Yeah, the, the definition of inflation is expansion of the money supply, right? So when you start printing money, you have expanded the money supply. You have created the inf- inflation. There is no other way. So a couple of things you said I love. One, we have a saying on our show that financial advice is garbage and should be treated as such. It comes from the opinion of the person giving it, right? And here's the thing is that you've probably heard somebody say, oh, you can do it because I did it. But that's garbage too, man, because the experience, like for you, like I, we had a conversation, the fact that you were able to build a team, become so successful in the world that you were in before you started investing, gave you experience that other people didn't have, gave you grit that other people didn't possess. You had a friend who started doing it. You had a, a network of people who were already doing the thing that you wanted to do, right? Your specific situation is different than everyone else. So to assume just because I did it or you did it, someone else can do it too, that's garbage. We should not assume that that's the case. We all possess certain gifts and talents, and we need to use those gifts and talents at the highest level because we are called to be in service. The financial markets, one of the biggest issues you you were alluding to was if I'm an advisor and I know, hey, I could go and do a deal with Justin and... There's this opportunity. I bring it to my advisor and say, hey, you know, I'm hearing about this deal, this mobile home park. I'd really love to invest in it. What is your advisor going to tell you? They're not going to say yes, right? Because if they take the money out of the account, the management fee just went down. That's right. That's the reason why when I first started in the financial world, almost every single 401k plan had an in-service withdrawal option, meaning that you could go to your employer, you could roll out your cash inside of your 401k to an IRA and do whatever you wanted to with it. Almost every plan. I mean, there was a few plans that were restrictive, but almost every single plan you could do it. Now it's exactly the opposite. Almost no plans have an in-service withdrawal feature. Why did they do that? For your good? No. Mm-hmm. No, what did they sell? All the management, uh, the Wall Street went and sold this to all the companies and said, hey, look, you know, whenever the markets crashed, people started using their cash. Shocking, they needed the money because half of them were laid off and, and their accounts were going to zero. But they need to keep their money in there. Otherwise, they're not going to have money in retirement. So we're going to change this feature. We're not going to let them have access. And that's why we say on our show that the biggest obstacle to becoming financially free is lack of access to cash. Because you don't even know a good deal. Like you listen to the show, you might hear Justin talking about breaking down deals and you start to understand it. But if you don't actually have cash, you don't have the ability even to act on a deal. You know, you probably heard of the saying of the reticular activating system. You know, that feature in your brain yeah, that filters out all the stuff, right? That's not important to you. Well, for most people, because they don't have access to cash, they don't know that there's deals going on around them because their brain is just filtering it out. But once somebody puts their money in a place that they can access, now their ears are attuned to looking for deals. And all of a sudden, everything becomes an opportunity. And I've heard you say this, is that we need to find, need to have a list of things that tell us what not to do, not to invest, right? Which is great. But the thing is, most people don't have that filter on because they're, they don't have any money. So all those potential opportunities they could be vetting and turning down and looking for the gold gym in the, in the field, they haven't even said it because they don't even have any money they could touch. Totally. And by the way, we could do a whole podcast episode talking about the corruption, the manipulation, like all that's wrong with Wall Street. We could literally spend hours upon hours on this. Like I had to be really selective and and try and boil it down to what I thought were like the six biggest myths in my book, even though I had like 
30 to 40, maybe even 50 that I could have gone with, right? And I know you're the same way. I know you talk about this a lot in your community, but one of the things that I like to do is share with people, I I don't want to be the doom and gloom podcast. Like I want to make sure that we're uncovering, like here are risks, here are things that that you got to look out for. But at the same point in time, there's an abundance of opportunity out there. Right now, there will be tomorrow. There will be, even if we enter in a full-blown recession, there is going to be opportunity. And if you are focused on finding the deal, finding the gold, you're going to be able to find it. And so it sounds like in your world, Russ, you've pivoted a lot to alts or alternative investments. And I've done a bunch of shows on alternative investments. I've talked a ton about how if you want to grow your wealth, model what the wealthiest people in the world are doing. Model people that are utilizing family offices that have the resources to employ an office of people to just manage their financial life and and the wealth that they've created. Look at people that have their own family office. So at a certain stratosphere of net worth, you have the ability to have a single family office where you have a whole team and all they do is focus on you and and growing your wealth, protecting your wealth. And then you've got, you know, the the next tier which would be that multifamily office, and you've got another tier that might be like a fractional family office or a virtual family office. And so each of these appeal to a different client base, but the reality is most people that have their money managed, that are the wealthiest people, have the smartest people on their teams, really only expose somewhere between 20 and 30% of their net worth to the stock market. And it is my experience that most of those dollars are there not necessarily to make money, maybe to keep up, but also to have leverage to borrow against it when there is a deal that they want to invest in. And then you look at the private equity, you look at the real estate, you look at all the other things. And in most portfolios, you got your alternative investments being around 50% or greater. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on what people can do to make good financial decisions, especially in the times that we're in. Yeah, I I think that we hear the word passive income, right? We talk about passive income on our show. Passive income doesn't mean uninvolved though, right? It requires involvement, at least on the front end, right? Like Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrant talks about moving from the E to the S and then from the S to the B or I, right? Yep. And in order to create a B business, they had to ultimately, almost every one of them started as an S, right? They ultimately were a solo entrepreneur who built this business, got a team of 15, 35, you know, 50 people, whatever it is. And they started implementing and putting CFOs, COOs, people to manage each aspect of it. And now they sit in a CEO capacity. Well, that's what we need to have for our own finances. We need to be the CEO. And some of us, depending on how much cash we have, we may have to start out in the S seat for investing. Like, for instance, on our show, we interview lots of different people. And if you follow our podcast, you'll hear us every month we do our passive income report. I want to go into that real quickly. People ask me all the time, Russ, why do you guys publish your passive income report? Not that it's glamorous, right? Most people, yourself included, passive income far exceed ours. But here's what a mentor told us one time. He said, what you track grows, but what you track and report on grows exponentially. When we first started tracking our passive income in 2020, it was $2,400 a month. Now it averages typically somewhere between fifty to sixty thousand a month, and I keep coming back for the accountability of it to be able to be accountable to the world, which has me wanting to go deeper. Well, on that passive income report are things that we learned, right? Land flipping. Mark Podolsky's um, land flipping group is amazing at teaching people how to buy small tracts of land and turn around and sell them on owner finance terms. And we've done that at at a pretty high level. Like we on a a typical month, we have about twenty five thousand a month coming in from the notes from these land. Well, somebody may say, hey, I've acquired all the cash. I want to get into a done for you option. And they connect with his team and are able to do that. But some people, a lot of people that are in our community didn't have that cash to do that. And they went and learned how to do it themselves. 
Dawn, the, the um, teacher that was in Hawaii that wanted to figure out a way to spend more time with their two kids. And within 18 months of going through this program was able to build up enough cash flow to where she was able to leave her job. Or Sid, who was driving an excavator for his family business. Within three and a half years, he'd built up 20000 a month of passive income. Or Roberto, who was a, a, an attorney down in uh, San Antonio, who it was looking at the only way I'm going to make more money is build more hours. And he's, he was like, that doesn't seem the path for me. And within about four years, he built up 40000 a month in the land flipping. That's just one aspect where people who are doing short-term rental, create a short-term rental business. Some people start out there managing the operation. My business partner and I started uh, a short-term rental operation, but we didn't have any uh, interest in managing it. So we went ahead and hired an operator. We scaled it uh, from zero units, never doing it, to 27 units within about 18 months. And allow that business to create passive income. I mean, it can talk about own and own. There's so many different asset classes out there. Sometimes we think there's only one way to do it. I know early on in the, when you were doing mobile home parks, right? You were way more hands-on. You talked about your wife doing the books, right? Yeah. You're way more hands-on then than probably you are today. And I think too oftentimes people think, oh, well, the only way I can do this is if I have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars just to invest in these syndications. But I can show you example after example of people in our community who found ways to do it themselves, who are buying property creative, creatively, right? Doing seller finance notes, don't even have to put up their credit. Doing subject to, don't have to put up their credit. Buying homes and taking over the mortgages of the people selling it to them. And they turn around and doing midterm rentals, short-term rentals, turning it into residential home health care facilities. I mean, you name it, the opportunities are abundant if you're willing to take action on the ideas that you hear. There's no doubt. And, and I, every episode that I do, I always challenge our audience to take a step to, to make a move in the direction of financial freedom. And so these are all great opportunities where people can make a move and and take some action. So I'm curious if there is anything we're you know getting close to the end of our time. Is there anything else you want to make sure that you share with our audience before we direct people to all the cool things you guys are up to and where they can learn more about you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Here's the thing. The biggest obstacle to becoming financially free is lack of access to cash. The three biggest mistakes we see people making, Justin, is that they're trying to pay off debt instead of buy assets and produce income. They're contributing and have the majority of their money in qualified plans that they can't touch. And they got a lazy cash system, right? Their money's sitting dead at a bank and they're not able to use it and have it doing multiple jobs for them. And if people can understand, if I can take control, not abdicate it to someone else, that no one's going to care about it as much as I do, and they'll get really clear, right? Like I know you talk about this in your four principles of mindset. So for us, the first, we have five pillars. The first pillar is strategy and vision. If you don't know where you're going, Right. Though Yogi Bear, you're probably not going to get there. Right? You ended up somewhere else. And, and too oftentimes people don't have a strategy or a vision to what they want to accomplish. So when they come into our world, they will go through a process to help them be really clear. And while it may seem a little woo at the beginning, what I've seen is that people who basically we had a guy that was on our podcast and he said, I was going um, an inch deep in 12 different directions until I figured out what I really wanted to do. And I got really clear on it. And since then, he's been able to build a portfolio uh, of over 200 million in assets of getting deep in the thing that he was great at. And I knew why he wanted to do it. So that's be the thing. If, if people follow that approach uh, and continue to to follow you and the things that you're doing, I think they'll have a lot more success than following Wall Street. Well, I love it. Well, I think we both can strongly agree that Wall Street is not the answer. Maybe it's the answer for 25% of your portfolio if you have a strategy for using those dollars and you do it in the lowest way possible, the lowest fee basis, like just, you know, index. You know, most of the the money managers we've already seen in the last 15 years, 95% of them don't outperform the S&P 500 index. So if you were to pick an index, and there are various different indexes, they're all the lowest fee type of, of strategy because most people aren't going to be able to afford the people that have had some more consistency. But it's interesting to see that very few people can even repeat. So even of the 5% over the last 15 years that did outperform, they didn't prior to that and they likely won't after it and to have access to you know some of the big names that you've heard the big time hedge funds it's just 
price prohibitive, you know? And it's interesting, Russ, I have talked to several people here recently, and, and one is my friend, actually, where I just hear that they've got all this cash sitting in a bank, way more than what FDIC covers, and paying them next to nothing. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, you could have this money in T-bills, making you 4%, or, you know, there are these preferred savings accounts with groups that have cool programs and packages for high net worth individuals. If you're high net worth, you might get a bump. But for a lot of different people where you can right now be getting 4.6% where your money is not exposed to any risk. So it is mind boggling to me that people are sitting on so much cash in these banks, even after the financial uncertainty and crisis we've seen in the banking sector here recently. There is just not enough financial education out there. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly, man. Thank you for having me on the show. It was a pleasure to be here, man. Well, this is just so much fun. I mean, I feel like, you know, we're on such the same page that like it's just so fun talking and hanging. Where can people find out more about you and Wealth on Wall Street? Yeah. If you go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash lifestyle investor, we actually built an option where you can follow our socials, podcasts. Uh, we have the ability for you to take a financial quiz. Most people go through that because they really want to go deeper into our community. One of our team members uh, responds to every question there that goes through there. So that way they can uh, point you in the direction. We built a, a community. We have a little over 7,000 people in it right now. It's totally free. On the App Store, you can type in Wealth About Wall Street and download it. And some people want to join in some other capacity. We gave you a bunch of options on that page. I oh, love it. Well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being a, a, a wealth of knowledge and a great resource for our community. And I like to wrap up every episode uh, with a question to my audience. So if you're listening to this right now, if you're watching this, this is my question for you today. What's one thing that is holding you back from financial freedom that you learned in this episode specifically today from Russ that you can now use to conquer this milestone in your life? Would love to hear about it. Send over some of the details of what that one thing is, the action that you can take, the action that you're willing to take, uh, because we'd love to support you. Thanks so much. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who would benefit from this episode, would you mind sharing it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all resources mentioned, visit www.lifestyleinvestor.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. This podcast is being made available exclusively to financially sophisticated, high net worth individuals capable of evaluating the merits and risks of investments. The material presented in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice or to recommend the purchase or sale of any security, nor is it intended to be legal, accounting, or tax advice. You should consult with your legal, tax, or financial advisor in connection with any material discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative nor a guarantee of future results. Certain materials discussed on this podcast may have been prepared by third parties, which have been obtained from sources that we believe to be accurate and current. However, we make no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, completeness, or currency of such materials.